Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Design to Product podcast, where we talk about getting a product from design to a manufactured product. We'll hear about the journeys of people who build products designed for manufacturing, engineering, and supply chain challenges, and more. I'm Adario, host today, and I'm the CEO of Giga. Managing quotes, orders, and supply chain is very hard for hardware companies, and Giga makes it much easier. We automate RFQs and purchase orders tasks and centralize all of this information in one place. So manufacturing companies can reduce error, save time, and get competitive prices at lean time for their products. And you can use it either with your engineering team or your procurement team. And if you want to try it out, just go to Giga, J-I-G-A dot I-O. It's giga.io. And before we start, let's talk about things that we saw and that our audience might find useful. They are not sponsoring this and don't even know that I'm mentioning them. It's just a real recommendation to help you and them. And this time I'd like to feature The Prepared, a community of hardware professionals. And they also have a great newsletter. They share great content and have a paid active Slack channel. I'm also a member with a lot of actionable and useful information. So go to theprepare.org and check it out. Our guest today is Niels Jules Jacobson. Niels is the CEO of Capra Robotics. Hello, Niels. Hello, Adam, and thank you for having me here. Thank you for being here. So maybe tell us a little bit about Capra Robotics. Yeah, Capra Robotics is a new outdoor mobile robot that is focusing on this new emerging market that could be last mile delivery it could be cleaning in the urban area it could also be logistics where you move parcels from inside factories to outside and there we started uh, three years ago of, of uh, developing this new type of robot that combines some very nice features from we've seen from other normal traditional uh, steering robots and also from cars and combining them into one we actually get a vehicle that is very very agile and still has a has a low complexity in its design and that's of course is very important for us when we want to roll it out into the world and now after three years we have our first robot ready for the market and uh, are selling that now primarily in Europe and oh. to expand that to rest of the world yeah oh sounds exciting so after three years you're now uh, starting to sell and uh, move to production yeah we we started production about one and a half year ago in in designing that we, we got a production manager in who had some experience from 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 Denmark it's windmills <coughs> a bit larger structure but but basically the same how, how do you build a production line that can scale from small to big and uh, that means that also the, the, the production engineers, they have to be involved in the last part of design. Because we, when, when we started with the Kappa robots, we, we had a journey of three years. And we wanted to know that the first year we wanted to have the concept correct. We want to have the kinematic structure of, of, of the robot. Then the next one was more on how do we make it um, watertight enough because whenever you have an outdoor robot, of course, what's very important is that it's actually able to survive the environment that's yeah. outside. And, and water and dust are big hurdles there. So, so the next year we, we went on, on some design features on, on how do we achieve that. And then the last year was more on how do we get it ready for production and how do we put safety on? Because the robot has to be 
a safety uh, device that that it basically never fails. Of course, that's not possible. Anything outdoor would eventually break mm-hmm. due to the environment. But when it breaks, it has to break in a safe way. So, mm-hmm. so, so that has been our journey. So along the way, and, and the last part, production has been involved to ensure that that their their input is also very important on, especially when you're a sampler robot. And it's a journey we just started, and then we'll prolong in the next three to five years, I think. Yeah, so you definitely have to take many considerations into account, especially with a robot that should survive different circumstances and different use cases. And uh, you you don't only serve like one specific use case, but different ones. So how do you, I'd say, in, in the design process, how do you um, ensure that this robot can survive all of these uh, tough situations? Yeah, strangely enough, uh, um, the whole f- uh, framework was invented by my, my co-founder, Mespent who has been in a wheelchair for, for many, many years. Wow. So he has a lot of experience in, in driving in electric wheelchairs there. And he came up with a novel design uh, that, that would solve some of the problems he has seen in the market. Unfortunately, it was very, not very good for wheelchair, but it was very, very nice for robots. So, so that's why we, I switched with him three years ago and say, let's make a robotic company. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his experience came into this design. So, so how can we make it also, uh, uh, when you go outside, be robust enough for the features we already knew? And then I had a background from another company I started 10 years ago called Mobile Industrial Robot. We also, that was for indoor logistic. And, and then we found out that the, it's the right combination of having a platform that's able to do the basic task. It has to be able to move around and, and do things. And then you need to have a very nice, well-defined API that makes it possible for others who came on with, with, with integrators, with new ideas on to put platforms on top of the robot and combine that into a kind of new product. So mm-hmm. this ability to have a well-defined API from the start uh, I think is is is, uh, is very critical here, and and that makes it a real robot. It's not a you know, make it general purpose because you can actually put a lot of things on, and we already seen yeah. customers. Come yeah, out. so the the API actually allowed you to connect to different technologies and provide different capabilities, mm-hmm. uh, probably like the autonomous navigation and stuff like that. Yeah, I think we we have some very simple on right now, and but we found there's a lot of companies out there who actually made this very very perception stacks where where they understand what's going on in the environment, also try to navigate around things, and and we don't have to invent all that because we can go out and buy it and think we were an automatica in in, uh, in June, and that there we saw at least three companies who already came with this kind of technology kind of add-on technology that that you can apply. And then it's up to uh, how complex is the task you want the robot to solve. And based on that, you you take the different components, put them into to uh, integrate a product, and you can start to sell that. And some of that part is due to this uh, ROS uh, that had been in the robotic market for many years, I think more than 10 years ago, 13 years, I think now. We started to have a, a kind of standard platform on how do different devices in 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 robots communicate together. Now we are here on what we call ROS2, who is the more 
industrial version of this ROS. And, and that means that if, if this uh, perception stacks, they, they uh, interface to the ROS platform, it's actually very, very easy to plug and play that. And I think uh, that's going to be interesting in, in, in the future is that, that you, you, can, you can enhance the performance of your robot by adding more perception on. Some of that you can develop yourself and other ones you can actually go out and buy. And based on that, uh, the robot would be smarter. Got it. And, and in terms of like building the, actually, the actual robots, like what features are a must-have? Like what features must be in your, your core product and what features are just nice to have? Yeah, of course. <laughs> the basic robustness and stability, I think it, it, it has to be designed to be able to endure some punishment. Mm -hmm being able to, to run outside. And it's also, I think we, we put some effort into designing it. So if something fails, it should be easy to replace it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's also, um, we put what we call uh, redundancy into that. That means we have, we have a four-wheel mechanism with, with motors on all four wheels. If, if one or two wheels fall out, the robot should still be able to perform its task Perhaps on a, on a uh, less the performance will go down a bit, but it should still be able to to move around things like that. So 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 we actually managed to to get a system that is almost always able to move, even though it's going to be very restricted. Because we found out that anything stuck out in the field is terrible. You, you want to get it home repaired and whatever, uh, and and having this kind of, of redundancy. Is actually uh, pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think you call it uh, resilient nowadays. I think it's it's really really. Well, what's up? How, how how do you survive the real world environment? So 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 that was an important step in the design of robot. Yeah. Right. So um, making the robot resilient and making it able to even if it has some errors and some problems, uh, it should still be operating. So this is an important part. What is the what do you consider as like a nice to have features, like not critical for for building the robot? Uh, I think that there's another thing that, that um, it, it it's it how does the robot uh, look like? How will people around the robot understand it? How will they perceive what's going on? So so about uh, 15 years ago, I made some tests at universities on what size should a robot be. So, so, so we started with putting some mobile robot and different boxes on top, and then we tried it out with different people. And then we found out that, that if, if the robot was more than 60 centimeters wide, people would feel threatened about it. So, so, so the idea was if it was 80, it was like, okay, perhaps it's, it's too big that it becomes frightening. And I think that was really interesting. So 60 centimeters is about our shoulder size, more or less. And eight seats like a beer uh, or something like that, it, 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 it becomes perhaps too frightened for us. So, so right. that was one design point that would actually don't make it too wide because then it becomes frightened along people. Yeah. Uh, another thing is the speed. Uh, we found out that if, if the robot was moving too fast, if you come down a corridor and the robot come behind you and, it, and, and it's catching up, that's scary. Mm-hmm. So actually, the robot should move a little slower than people around it, 
Mm-hmm. Then you you have as a humans a perception. Okay, now we have a robot. It's not dangerous because I can always run away from it. So right. so, so so it's all part of our, our psychological aspect. Yeah, yeah. That turns into design principles that you will have to uh, yeah. work with yeah. because you don't want the people to be afraid of the robot. Yeah. And, and 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 now with Capra, we also worked on what we call in, in, intuitive markers, so 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 that that uh, people will understand what's going on. We have a front and back wheel, and with that turn, it very very clearly indicates in what direction can the robot move. Mm-hmm. And we found out that people understand that. So 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 that's a kind of 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 indication marker that makes it clear for people. Now, okay, uh, if, if you are approaching the robot front on and suddenly the wheel turns to the left, okay, you know it's going in that direction. Mm-hmm. So it makes it much more clear for you. And, and else you can put some light on that indicates what the intention has it seen, your things like that. So, so I, think, I think all this interaction with the robot, of course, they're, they're nice to have, but they also needed to have because we, we will see the robot interact with people in, in, in the street on a daily basis and it has to be intuitive for everyone what's going on. Yeah, it's very interesting that you have these psychological principles that define eventually like how the robot will look and you don't want the robot to be threatening to humans because then it will be problematic when it comes into use. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, I think it's very important for us. I think we, we've seen some, some robots in the market that people get offended on or scared about, and that should not be the case. A kind of, a robot is a kind of advanced machine that helps us as humans, and, and I think we should keep it in, in that way. I think robots are helpers, so, so that's very much in our philosophy that it's, that's important. But it's also part of the sign, make it a little round, make it, make it also um, in, in, in some way nice enough, but not too nice. I think my spend has a good uh, expression there. That's why the company is called Capra. It means goat. So, 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 uh, kind of goat is nice enough, but it's not something you want to kick. So, so <laughs> there's also a, a balance on the robot. It, it, it should not be be uh, too nice because, or, or, or it, it's it's still a machine, and and you should still understand it as such. Yeah. Got it. Um, you talked to me uh, earlier about uh, supply chain issues and uh, ways that companies have to face them and compare it also to, to the past. You have a lot of experience and you didn't see these same issues. So what's your perspective about that? Yeah, I think uh, the, very surprisingly is, is that, that, that all, all you have learned for many years, you have to relearn very, very fast, else you have, have no chance. So suddenly supply chain is one of the main issues if you want to scale a product. Uh, somehow you can foresee what will happen in the future, but, but what if you have to scale it a factor five or 10? Uh, how would you actually do that? So, so, so you need to be much more agile on, on, on what you do. And I think uh, in Capra, we had to redesign the PCB boards twice the last year in order to try to find out what what chipset can we actually acquire and, and which one do we think will be available on the market mm-hmm. to scale? So so it, it's, it's now now we are designing the PCBs on what's available and not the other way around what would be mo- most optimal. So 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 that's one point. 
And the other one is that, that you need to, to say, okay, how can we get things more than, than half a year in advance or something like that? How, how do we, we see the demands? And of course, that makes some additional risk because you say, okay, how many batteries do I have to buy? Is my best case or worst case? Because you're always operating in, in an expanding environment, so that 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 you don't know if you sell 100 or 200 robots. Yeah, so exactly. You have enough for them. Yeah. So, so how do you anticipate this demand? Uh, how do you plan in advance when you don't really know, like, how many robots you're going to sell? I think one of them was, I think, being agile enough to to change some some of the parts in the robots when that's necessary. And also with the batteries, uh, you can see what suppliers are available uh, and, and, and what deals can you make with some of them and, and, and basically buy enough and, and then ensure you don't have to pay all of them up front, but, but, but get the suppliers to put them in, in stock. I think that's what we're, we're trying to do now. Mm. Right. So like you, you don't get into also liquidity problems and stuff like that. I think we, we, we would very, very fast if you're not very careful on, 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 on what deals you can get with your supplier. Yeah. And, and sometimes when I think we, we had some uh, uh, PLCs that we got from a vendor there, and, and suddenly they came back and say, but we cannot deliver. So, so, so what do you do there? And then, then say, okay, you can, you can pay more to get the devices. And that's more or less blackmailing. And, and sometimes you say, Okay, I have no other chance. So, so we do that now, but I'm not sure that we are going to be good friends in the future based on that. So, so, but, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, pragmatism, ag agility, and always have a look out for what threats will come. I think that's the way to survive. Interesting. And, and how do you like manage this, this stuff? Because, um, you you don't really know, like you said that you design PCBs according to what's available. So how do you even have a pulse on the market and, and understand what kind of components will be available to you in the near future? Like you design the robots, you don't change design all the time. So you have to know like for the near future, like what, what kind of components will, will be out there. So how do you even do the forecasting? But some of that we just go out and buy the components. So, so we say, okay, which components is available? And then we, we buy a roll or two of them, a few thousands, and then we say, okay, that'll be enough. And we probably use that product for the next year too. So that, that, that should be okay. So, mm -hmm. so that's a kind of, 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 of purchase. So we, we put some capital into that. And, and the other ones we see, okay, how many different suppliers are available there? And, and we, we talk to them more or less directly and say, okay, what is your forecast? Uh, how much will it make for car industry? And, 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 and what do you have in surplus for other things? And then based on that, uh, you try to, to figure out, okay, how big a chance of this is that this component is going to increase in price? And, 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 and then you also keep a lookout all the time. What's the price level? And some components, if they become low enough in price, you just buy them in because there's a high chance you will use them anyway. And mm -hmm. if you come into a situation, you buy too many, you can probably sell them also. So, mm -hmm. so you can on a, on, on a spot market uh, to sell right. them. And how do you like benchmark these, these prices? Like, how do you know that this price is now 
really low, I should buy it? Like, how do you even have that? Oh, there are some of my electronic people who have been in that business for many years and, and, mm. and, and they know, okay, how much did it used to cost two years ago? What, what's acceptable? Where in the life cycle of, of these PCBs are, or the, the chips are, are we? So, so what can we expect there? So they like constantly, they're constantly in touch with the suppliers who give you yeah. like custom, custom yeah. quotes all the time. And then they say, okay, yeah, I, I can buy it now because now it's a good price and then I can reduce my risk and perhaps sell it later. Yeah, I think exactly. And, and, but it also means that, that you have people that are using a lot of time on that. So certainly that, that's a new task. And normally the people we, that will be the electronic guys because it's very hard for the purchase department to, to know about these things. They can get some quotation and whatever and try to press prices, but that's really not the situation you're in. You, you cannot go out and say, okay, I want it 10% cheaper or buy someone else. Yeah. Okay. You have some technical you, you, expertise. You could get it from us in three years. So, okay, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, yeah. 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 So, so there is like, um, what, what I hear you mention is like the electronic guys are the ones who should monitor these prices, not the purchasing guys. But then there's like some, some disconnect maybe between like the engineering people, the technical people are suddenly doing uh, supply chain tasks, which is something that, probably changed a little bit since the supply chain issue started. So do you have like a view on how do you make sure that they're in sync with each other? We're not that big a company yet. So so so, so we, we're still in, you sit together and then you say, okay, what's going on? And, and then you have meetings where we put in and, and, and how do we solve that? What situation, what is the risk? What component do we have coming in? And, and, and how certain are we on that? So it, it's more like a, you could call it a, a war room where we all the time try to monitor what's going on and make people talk together and say, okay, then yes, how can we solve that? Yeah. So, so the, that's the ability there. And the pragmatic one is, is when do you buy anyway? The ability to know when do you buy, like how do you, how does it affect the design? How does it affect your, your cash flow? Like so, so many things that come into play when with all these supply chain challenges that you probably didn't have to think about so much before. Yeah, that's completely new. I think I, I, I think I talked to some very old guys more than 30 years ago, and then they said, okay, we had something similar sometimes there. And, and and we just got used to a, a very global world where we could buy anything and it would yeah. uh, be cheaper and could more or less arrive in in a few weeks. Yeah. So so and, and that's the agility now. I think and the companies who are going to survive here are the ones who who thrive in this very uncertain environment. Yeah. Incredible. Niels, Drew, Jacobson, CEO of Kappa Robotics. Thank you for being with us today. It was fascinating. Welcome. Thank you for letting me share our experience. You listen to Design the Product. Thank you, listeners, for being with us today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcasting channel. We share episodes every week and give us a nice rating. We are designed to product by Giga. Thank you so much. <laughs>